Hi everyone, it's Beth and welcome back to the podcast. Today you'll meet Deborah. Deborah shares about how she felt like her mom left her when she died because she didn't take care of herself after being diagnosed with adult onset juvenile diabetes. Deborah stuffed down her grief for 30 years and is just starting to recognize the damage caused by her unresolved grief. As always, if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and review. And now, Deborah's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. We are glad that you're here. We are actually recording this on my birthday. It is March 16th. It's my birthday. This won't be released until next week, but anyways, just um, so happy to be here and happy to be with Deborah for the first time. Deborah and I met online. Um, I was already doing the podcast thing, but I'm always trying to learn new things. So I was part of an online um, free group thing that was going on, and Deborah was a part of it too. And I think we connected before they closed the group. You know, they always do that. You have, you know, Facebook, whatever for the week, and then they close it, right. and you're like, oh my gosh, I freaking know, and all those people in there, but luckily Deborah and I had messaged each other, so we still had that connection, and um, grateful that she's here today, and if you've been here before, you know the drill. She, I'm going to turn the mic over to Deborah and let her introduce herself and tell us her story, and then I'll come back at the end and ask a few questions, so I'm going to turn it over to you, Deborah, and appreciate you being here today. Well, Beth, thank you so much. Um, I have to say I am extremely excited to, but incredibly nervous to share um, my story. I will say to your listeners, this is the first time, I think in a public way, a public forum that I'm actually going to be telling my story because it seems to, I always have additions to it, but I'm going to start it with something that, um, and I'll explain why. I just want you to listen to this because it's, it's, it's a visual thing, but I'm going to let you hear it. Now, anybody want to guess what that is? It's my mother's charm bracelet. And it was one of the things that when I was a little girl, I would play with her jewelry. This must explain some of the obsessions I have with gems now and all that. But um, my mother was not a jewelry person. My mother was not a makeup person. I am all of those things. But I did play with this uh it's a 14 karat gold charm bracelet. And on here, it's like um, a scrapbook of her life. And it's one of the things that I keep and I have this special box that I keep it in and I really don't wear it because I'm actually afraid of losing it. But there's one charm on here that's a locket that actually um, my father gave to my mother. He gave her all these charms, but it has my teeth marks in it. Because I, I, when my mother was wearing it, I think she let me chew on it and I was teething. So there's just... This is just like a memento of her life, their first home. And actually she cut up my father's high school ring and made a charm out of it. And I, I just, I just, this makes me feel close to her. I've never had it appraised and I don't care how much it costs because you couldn't replace it for a trillion dollars. But um, I have that here with me today in memory of her. And, um, and I think I just should start telling you my story from the standpoint of, I wanna say where I am now but I can tell you that where I am now is not where I was when, when she left me. Um, I consider myself, I, I, I consider myself a motherless mother. And because she, she left 
me and you'll hear me talk and you'll hear some of my emotions come out when I say it. She left me when I, right after my second child was born. And the story of my mom in my life is, I could make a short story and say the day unconditional love died because my mom was the person in my life. And I've said this over and over again, that really demonstrated unconditional love to me. Really, she did because I was the quintessential wild child of my family. Uh, I have two sisters that have been estranged from me for over 20 years because of my antics as a young person. And, um, and my lack that, at that time of, I wanna say repentance or sorrow over anything I did to my family. But my mom was, she never ever left me ever. So my mother was my earthly demonstration of unconditional love. My mom's name was Joan, that's my middle name. And um, she, I gave her such a hard time, to be honest. I really wish, I really did. I just gave her such a hard time. I was just a hellraiser, but, but um, she was, she never ever made me feel anything less than loved, ever. I never doubted her for one single second. And what happened with my mom was I was in high school. Um, I'll tell you these dates and you can figure out how old I am. I'm not ashamed of it, but I'll let you guess first before I actually fess up to it. In the 70s, I was in high school and my grandmother, her mother, um, contracted breast cancer. And she had the mastectomy, and, but she subsequently died as a result of breast cancer. And my mother who was absolutely devastated. I mean, I mean, devastated. And at that time, right after that, something, she tripped some trigger in her system. And right after that, she began to have adult onset juvenile diabetes. And, and she was only at that time in her thirties. My mom was 22 when I was born. I was the first one, first of four. And um, so, so when her mom died, this diabetes, you know, it tripped her trigger. And my mother was, she started out with tabs and she would not, she was non-compliant. She wouldn't stop eating sugar. She wouldn't stop smoking. Um, you know, uh, not for nothing, but like, honestly, I know now where I got my stubbornness from because she was feisty and she wouldn't listen to the doctor. She just, she resented being sick. She was only, I mean, if it was, if I was 16, she was not even 40, you know? So, right. 16. Yeah, that would be about right. So, um, she, she didn't want to be, have all that go on. So she was non-compliant, but you know, I didn't really know anything. And then, then, and then things started to happen. Um, her, the, I didn't know anything about diabetes and I didn't bother to educate myself. And what ended up happening was, it was just, it was, it was a process of her body just failing her, failing her in the sense of, I mean, she went through so much. Um, but she was there, we gave her on her, I'm a flight attendant by trade. So what we gave her, I know, <laughs> what we gave her and my dad for their wedding anniversary, I think it was their 25th wedding anniversary. We gave them a trip to San Francisco and she went to San Francisco and somehow walking up and down those hills. And again, this is something that's diabetic symptoms. She put the bone through the bottom of one of her feet and she struggled with that for the rest of her life. She, there, it was just awful. And on the day of my wedding, she was able to walk, but she had a cast on. She had a walking cast on, but she walked down the aisle. She looked absolutely gorgeous. That was the, she loved that. That was the gown that she, that was a great memory, her and I getting that gown. And, um, and that was unfortunately the gown she was buried in. I would do it different now. I would keep the gown, but anyway, 
um, I have her wedding gown. And so she was there. She was there. She was there for my wedding. She was there um, from the birth of my son, my first, my first child. She was there, but she was really starting to deteriorate. And she would be in and that we'd get a phone call and we didn't know what was going to happen, whether she was in the hospital. She ended up having a pacemaker. She had to have laser surgery on her eyes. I mean, she her her illness was long and it was protracted. And I will never forget, I was speaking at a women's group and I got a call that I had to go to the hospital. Her heart had stopped. They brought her back to three times she died. And then she, they brought her back. Now that was 1985, 85 or 86. And things were really starting to get bad. And I saw then when her foot really went and they couldn't fix it. And then they were telling her they were gonna have to amputate her foot. That's, that's, that's when she gave up. I saw the life go out of her. I saw it. I remember leaving the hospital and pulling over to the side of the road and, and crying because I grieved. I, I felt her life force and who she was had left her. She just couldn't battle that. There was no way she could battle that. So that was the beginning. I remember that clearly, clearly, clearly. And, um, and then from there on in, it was just one thing after the other. And Ironically, after my first, my, for my first child, my son, she wanted to take me shopping one day and we went shopping and she seemed to be in a really, really good mood. And she seemed to like things turned around. I thought, oh, maybe, you know, she's going to be, have a little bit more joy. And unfortunately, no, that's the euphoria that sets in when somebody decides they're going to finish their own story. So the next day she was rushed to the hospital because she tried to finish her story and end it and she couldn't do it. And so we took her to the hospital. Now, this is where my brother's anger started to, to rev up. And um, as I said, I'm the oldest of four, but he really had trouble with that. I, I, did, I was not angry with her for that. Um, I just started to get angry at the fact that I'm pregnant now with my second child and she can't be there for me now. And now I am a motherless mother. I mean, literally a motherless mother. And I am, she's not even gone yet. And I still feel it. I'm, I'm in this all by myself. And you know, I, I need her. And my father has always been, was always kind of like, I don't, he wasn't emotionally absent, but he wasn't emotionally connected either. So um, my mom was really my, she was my force, you know? And so during that time, so I went and this is what happened. And this is, this is the worst thing to remember. When I delivered my second child, she came a month early and it was in May of 1987. My mother was in the floor above me in the hospital. And I was so, so angry that she was in the hospital. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys this because if any of you deal with it or have done something like this, I want you to know you're not alone. My mother kept calling the nurse's station and said, can she come and see me? And I kept saying, no. I was so mad. Now, I, I could have had a different attitude and said, oh, she's right with me. She could roll right in. She could be right in with it. No, I was really mad. I was really mad. And so that's where my anger took root was right there. And I acted on it and the vulnerability that I had, because remember I said she had already left me. And now I'm gonna tell you something that is another thing I haven't really talked about out loud much, but in that vulnerability of, of knowing already that I had lost the essence of the life force of my mother, even though she was still technically alive with me on the earth, I became very vulnerable. So I started to distract myself with projects and things to do. I'm an entrepreneurial spirit. So what happened was I was doing a wedding planning business and I went to a vendor show and I got spotted by an MLM company 
And in my vulnerability, I signed and went batshit, you know what, with that. I went crazy. Oh, sorry. See, I, I should have just said batshit crazy instead. <laughs> so, sorry, guys. So, um, so I, and I say that because it is only recently that I have had the revelation of what happened to me during that time. My vulnerability at that period. Now, keep in mind, this is 1987. I'm all of 31 years old. And I've already lived like a really, really hell-raising life myself. Like, really. Okay. And I'm not going to go into my story because this is my story with me and my mom, but she was with me through all of it. And so this, and the reason I say that is because that vulnerability followed me up until October of this year. Okay. I'm not lying. And what happened was I became a perfect candidate for commercial cults and church cults, of which I was a part of from then until now. And I want to tell you that because I didn't know it until just now. And if you knew what kind of a crash that I had to go through in October when I had to reckon with this, unbelievable. I mean, it, I felt like my whole life has been a farce. So anyway, that's just part of my story, but it is connected to losing my mom. So what happened was she, in 1987, she 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 couldn't do, she just couldn't do it. She really lost her will to live with the she couldn't do the prosthetic, and everything. And then finally, in and this is why today is so it's ironic. March of 1988, 21 days before her birthday, before her 54th birthday, my mom died. In March. Now, for the from then until about 19 until about I would say maybe eight years ago. What are, where are we? 2022. So every March would go, I would go into a complete like depression. I couldn't move. And I didn't know that that's, I had no idea. I can, I have to look it up every time I want to remember what day my mother died because I had such a blank about it, but it, I knew it was in her birthday month. So, so I say this to tell you that I did not realize everything that I was going through because why my anger about the whole thing just blinded me. It just blinded me. And then on top of that, I still remember when my mom died. I remember when we went to the hospital and I remember walking out of the hospital and I was with my siblings. We were still talking at that time. And, and my dad and somebody walked in and said, oh, it's a girl. And of course I remember my dad saying, oh my mom, there's mom's replacement. And I mean, every time I think of that, I just, I can't even. So we spent the time, you know, putting everything together um, doing the funeral and everything like that. And then, and then here goes my life. Now I'm, I'm 32 years old. I have two children and I have no mother and I have a father who decides that now he's going to live his life because he's only 54 years old. And, and, I'm, and here I am and I cannot even tell. And now I'm really mad and I will not grieve. Do you know I took, now this is, I'm going to tell you stuff like this is really self, this is full confession here, you know, and I, I, my maiden name is Grandinetti. So if you know anything about the Italian culture here in New Jersey, you'll understand what I'm going to say. So I had this humongous bag of, of like cards. I don't know whether they were mass cards. I don't know where they were cards with money. I don't know what they were because I never opened them ever. And finally, Two years ago, when I decided I was finally going to open them, then I couldn't find them. I had moved them from house to house every time we moved. And then I finally was going to open them and I never opened them. They disappeared. I probably threw them out in a fit of anger. Isn't, I mean, I mean, 
I, I just, I can't even like, I'm thinking about, I know I did this. I know I did it, but I'm like, I'm, it's incredulous when I think about some of my actions, but I felt 100% justified in being that mad because my mom left me and I was really mad. And I say it to this day, if she had been somewhat compliant with her treatment, she maybe could have avoided some of the agony that she was in. And I'm not sure how much she would have extended her life, but I don't think it would have been as hard as it was. So what I learned, what I learned, and this is within the last three, four years, is I never really fully grieved my mom. I just walked around being mad. I wouldn't even call her mom. I would say my mother. Like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't talk. I would try to keep all her traditions alive. She had an Irish background. So St. Patrick's Day was a big deal for her. So I, I would make Irish soda bread from Heather and Jan and give it to everybody in honor of my mom. But see, that's all I would ever say is my mom. I never just said mom. I never, I couldn't even touch this bracelet. I, I just, so I can tell you today because I've, I've, I've done what, you know, is my essence of, of grief process. Um, but the grief that I have, that guttural crying when I finally got to the point where I was willing to feel what I really felt about her being gone. Guys, it took me like from 1988 until probably 2018. That's how many years I walked around with that grief inside of me. And if I could tell you, I know, if I could tell you the damage that it did to my family, the damage that it did to my life, the, 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 the vulnerability that stayed with me, which is why I went from commercial cult to commercial cult. I, I, I love, I used to love the MLM industry until I really dug deep into it. And now I have to say, I really, I'm, I'm not an advocate anymore, but, um, but I, I, I respect anybody's choice that they make, but there's also a lot of, I was involved with Christian churches who were under the prosperity doctrine, which is very similar to toxic positive. And I was just, I was a prime candidate for it. Some of it was because of the unresolved guilt. I never really let myself feel my feels about my mom. And so, and, and, and not for nothing, but like, you can't see me because this is a podcast. And if you could, you wouldn't know this anyway, because I am like the queen of camouflage, but like, guys, I'm carrying around like extra weight. That's as a result of that grief undone. Okay. And I taught myself some things about self-sedating with chocolate and shopping and sugar that, you know, those habits need to break and they're going to go down hard. I mean, like I created highways in my brain that thinks that's the way I'm going to feel better about my mom not being here. So you have to untrain all of that. Okay. And like, I spent 30, I spent more of my life disregarding my grief than I did before. I mean, I, my mom's been gone with me, gone now, 30, I had to write this down. 34 years ago, she died and I was 32. No, yes, that's, that's right. So I now have more years without a mom than I did with a mom. And I spent all those years stuffing the emotion. So, and there's no, sh I should say there's no shame in that. But if, if I was going to say what, if I was going to name the fat suit, I mean, I'd call it shame, but that's because I just wouldn't deal with my own feelings. And then on top of that, stuff came out sideways the way I treated my husband, the way I treated my kids, the way I mothered. And I just didn't. And, and then my sisters abandoned me after my father died. So there is just, all, I have a story upon story. Like there's a layer cake that would be like Tower of Pisa if we went there. Okay. But what I've learned is the power of the grief. I've learned the power of pressing into it. And I call it because it happens on a regular basis for me. I'm, I will miss my mom at the at the strangest moments and 
the tears will come. I'm surprised I haven't cried yet, but that's because I'm kind of, I'm trying to make a joke out of it, but it's really not funny. Um, I call it barreling into the bayonet because when, when this grief wants to come at me or anything that was want to cause me shame of not doing or undoing, I've learned that if I run away from it, like I ran away from my grief, grief for 30 years, it's going to do more damage than if I just charge right into it and, and, and take, take it, take whatever that pain is, that whatever that thing is that's causing me pain. Let me feel that pain so that I can feel, so that I'm not numbing myself with shopping or food or activity or business or this or that. I mean, the stuff I, I got on a bullet train that I never got off of until just recently. And I don't ever want to do that again because I left. If you looked on the railroad tracks in my life behind me, you'd see a lot of collateral damage and a lot of blood, a lot of bloodshed. I hurt a lot of people. Didn't mean to. I was hurting. But now I know. I'd rather go choose my hurt moment and deal with it and let myself be comforted by the one who I know. Look, I know where my mom is. Okay. Like I have assurances. I have faith. And I know where my mom is. And I know I'm going to see her again. I got news for you. That's very little comfort when you're missing your mother, to be honest. So, and I just feel like we need to be honest with each other about how we feel when we're in these, like Beth said, when we're in these clubs, you know, I mean, daughters without moms or me, like, you know, motherless mother, really, we just need to be honest with each other and say, look, you know, this is a good day. This is a bad day and help each other through it. I love this. I mean, I listened to the podcast. I was like, wow, you guys are really courageous to be out there telling your story. And I'm probably going to go completely cross-eyed when I listen to this, when I listen to this, but I, I really just want to encourage all of you out there that there are not other women who can ever replace your mother, but there are women out there who will mentor you, who will be there for you, not your friends, because you need a mother figure. And honestly, I, I actually do that now for people because I know how they feel. If you're, if you're estranged from your mother, and now, of course, I'm old enough to be in the mother role. You know what I mean? It's like, but I know that you can open yourself up to talking to someone who would be there for you. And I just encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to really, if you want to know, vomit it out, get that grief out of you. It's toxic. It's toxic to you. It plugs you up. It plugs up your, how you feel. And it plugs up your own love. You can't even love yourself right because you're so mad and you're so, you know, and so I just want to encourage all of you to understand that it is, it's, there's no words that are going to comfort you. Your mother, if she's not here, nobody can replace her ever. And isn't that a testimony to how wonderful she was? Really? And that's how we have to think about it. But I don't have all moments where I can smile or I can, because I remember things and she loved St. Patrick's Day and that's tomorrow. And I, I just, um, and her birthday is coming up at the end of the month. And of course, you know, whenever anybody says that date that they want me to go to a doctor appointment or something like that, I just feel like, oh, I really shouldn't do that. Um, but I got to live my life and I, I need to move on. And I am, I am dealing with the grief. But if I could tell you a, a trick to get it done, I can't. For you, it's going to be different than it is for me. But I'm going to leave you with one thing. Mother's Day comes in May. And I haven't had to buy a Mother's Day card in 34 years. 
And I wrote, and I know a lot of people who don't get along with their moms. And I said, I know you don't, but she's alive. And when she's gone, you're going to feel it. And I know you might feel some level of relief, but you're also going to feel like I felt with, like she went and then my dad went and I felt like an orphan. I was 42 years old. So I wrote a poem and I put it on a blog, which is now I don't, it's not a live blog anymore, but this is a poem that I wrote on Mother's Day. And I'm going to leave you with this thought that sometimes it comforts me and sometimes it makes me cry, but I call it hello heaven. And I, I prefaced it by saying, I miss my mom a lot today. So I wrote this poem for everyone who would love to call their mom this weekend and say, happy Mother's Day. And it's called Hello Heaven. I wish there was a phone in heaven. It would constantly be ringing, but they would never answer because they'd be too busy singing. The choral celebrations in the presence of perfect love keep our loved ones busy and blissful as they dance and sing above. Above the pain, above the loss, above the disappointments. Always smiling, ever joyful, they never shed a tear. They simply say, I love you still. God loves you more. I hope to see you here. Thank you, Beth, for letting oh, me share. Yes, I love that. I love that. Wow. So I, before we started recording, I talked about synchronicities and Deborah, you are talking my language. So I don't know if you, did you listen to the podcast I released yesterday? I did. Right. Okay. About the 50 life lessons in 50 years. Yes, I'm I like, oh, I, maybe it's something that comes with age too, just because I, I just 100% wholeheartedly agree with what you say. And I think some of that does come with time, the not running from your grief, but like you said, um, pressing into it, barreling into the bayonet, like I, it's so scary and seems so overwhelming, but you are so right when we bottle it up or shove it down or whatever it is that we do, it comes back like tenfold. You, if in the moment, it feels like it's the right thing to do to ignore it and suppress it and not deal with it. But you're yeah. right. If we could just help a couple of people who are younger than you and I are that are earlier in their grief journey to, to consider that it is really, really hard work, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. And I think the thing that would that my, if we could remember that the greatest joy and the greatest gift that we could give to our mothers that, that didn't want to leave us soon, they didn't want to leave us, they didn't want to, they just, they did for whatever reason. They would want us to fully love, they would want us to fully live, they would want us to be an expression of their love to the ones around us that, that they can't love. And if we stuff it, because that's what you do, it's like toxic poison that goes through your system and you think you're managing it and all you're doing is you're stuffing it. I just give every single person listening to this, you have my permission to go out in the yard right now and scream as loud as you want <laughs> and do whatever you want to do. Throw things, bring something out there to break because that's in you and you need to get it out and you have a right to that feeling. You suffered a loss, but holding it in, it will come out some other way. Somebody will drop something and you'll go, as I said earlier, batshit crazy because you've got that in there and it's triggering you. And the triggers, and my kids could tell you stories, like now we're talking about it and it's, it's much better, but I denied it for so long. We have to give ourselves permission to feel the feel and tell our families, who's ever around you, I'm having a moment. You don't have to explain a thing. I'm having a moment. And, and just then we're just like, 
this is the international stop sign. You have your hand up with your five fingers and you fly to tennis. They say, you know, don't bring anything, you know, like, so you tell people, don't come near me. I need a moment because we need to allow it. We need to allow it. And so we can be free mm -hmm. to love and to smile and to laugh and to cry. Mm -hmm. And there's no way is that disregarding their memory. None at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Beth, yeah. for letting me share. Yeah. Well, because you said, you know, it plugs up your own love. And that's kind of what I believe, too. Like, and and and, and you all, it also affects your ability to, to love yourself. And I think until you learn how to fully accept yourself, like your container of love will be will be limited by all those walls and things that you have put up because that's what I did. I mean, I put up walls and I was like, well, if I just don't let anybody too close or, you know, then I won't get hurt. <laughs> so, that's right. um, but yeah, we're not really protecting anybody or anything. We're just, we're just, we're, we're putting up walls and until you are fully known, you cannot be fully loved and you can't even fully know yourself when you're avoiding all your own pain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, wow, yeah. I'm talking to myself right now, really. <laughs> Uh -huh. I, I well, still have so many layers to unpeel. You have no idea, but it's good. This is a good first step. But doesn't it? It does. It feels, it feels so good to just be like, you know, name, naming it is kind of like one of the first steps. Like, you know, it's just saying, you know, I know that I've carried this baggage around and it's come out of me sideways and I've gone batshit crazy, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's part of the healing process, the start of the healing process to be able to name those things. And you also talked about numbing the emotions. That was one of my things, one of my 50 things, because when you, you can't, you, you can't just selectively numb one emotion. So if you're numbing the dark emotions, because the grief is heavy and the grief is hard and you don't want to feel it, which I totally understand. But when you numb that, you're also numbing your opportunity for joy because you can't just selectively numb one emotion. It's going to affect all of the emotions that you have. So um, 100%. I wish I had known that sooner. Right? I, I really yeah. wish I had known that sooner. And I'll tell you what, at this stage in my life, I'm, I just turned 65 years old. And it's like, at this stage of my life, and I'm so joyful that I have because I drew the line and it's going to be better from here on in. And you know, the worst is behind me. It's really hard not to have regrets. It's really hard not to think about what I missed. It's really hard. And it's all because I just wouldn't pop that cork on that grief. And I got so used to it, it became like normal to me. Right. It becomes a part of your identity then. Yeah. Because it's been so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I tell everybody, pop that cork. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the thing too that I've I've said in in other podcasts is that we can't judge our previous behavior with what we know now you know what I mean what you knew at 32 was nowhere near what you know now and I do think that some of this has to come with age but um we can't we can't judge ourselves or hold ourselves accountable for what we did then you know looking through the lenses now like that's just not fair that's just not it's not an even playing field so you can't you can't live back there you know the only thing you can do is express if you need to express remorse or ask for forgiveness or whatever and move on um boy i'll tell you with the kind of mistakes that i made back then with that anger anger really made me do some really ungodly and undaughterly things with my mom at the very end when she probably needed me the most you get selfish too when you're mad you know and 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 you really are not you're not really having any compassion and when i look back on that stuff i don't I own it as much as I can. And I, I can't say, 
that I could have changed anything other than my own behavior, but it is hard to forgive yourself. Like you said, when you have this perspective now and you look back then and you have to go, wait, this was my 32 year old self. I had, you know, an 18 month old. And I mean, I mean, a nine month old, wait, he was nine months and I got pregnant. So he was 18 months and then Naomi was born. So it was like, um, I had two kids and I was 32 and my, and I had a mother who was sick. So yeah, I was really not. And you had already started the process of anticipating, like you said, you saw the essence of her life leave her already. And so you were already in anticipatory grief of that. You knew what was coming. So I often think too, as part of our protective mechanisms, like you said, she was your only, not all, I mean, well, you did say that she was your only, your perfect, um, your source of unconditional love. She was, was the perfect model. Yep. Right. Right. That you never doubted her love for you um, and that she was that source of unconditional love for you. So, of course, if your brain's already considering that that's going to be gone, it's just like I said with me, with my defense mechanism, that was just like, oh, I'm going to keep you, you know, a little further distance so that I won't get so hurt when you go away because everybody I love goes away. So I know that's going to happen. You know, I am sure in your mind as a 32 year old. Plus you had all the hormones of just having a baby and stuff and a toddler, you know, not even a toddler yet. You said he was nine months old. Eight, eight, he was eight. He was nine months when I got pregnant. So he was okay. 18 months when she was born, you know, yeah. and then she was a preemie on top of that. And it was just, and then I'm involved with this, with this, you know, multi-level marketing company. And I went, that was where I went really nuts because the woman, she saw my vulnerability. Isn't it ironic how they can just, they can just target people who are ripe for the picking, which is so disturbing. I I shot like a rocket in that company, like from ground zero all the way up to the top in 18 months. And that was back in, that was in 1987, 88, before there was the internet. So this is boots on the ground stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have all these new skills and all this, this, and a mentor and this, that, and the other thing. But it really, it was because I would have spotted that if I had done my grief work that I was substituting. Here's this woman, she was a little bit older and there was, a, there was a serious substitution going on because I needed a mentor, but I didn't need a mentor in business. I needed a mentor in my life. And yeah, and the vulnerability. And then that just, wow, uh, that, that's another story, another day. But mm-hmm. it, 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 my family is in a very big healing mode right now, but I will tell mm-hmm. you like, you know, I did drive that bullet train right into the literal, literally into the wall. Mm-hmm. Because five years ago, I had a traumatic brain injury. I'm a flight attendant by trade. And I was, and a piece of equipment dislodged on landing and hit me in the head. I have a scar on the top of my head. And I've been in recovery ever since. And um, that was the thing that stopped the whole thing. Huh. And my Isn't life literally, yeah. So, and, but in the wreckage, in the wreckage of that is where all of this came up. Huh. And while, and I had to leave some of me over there. Like I had to leave her and deal yeah. with me, the me now. And so- this is the process. I'm still in it. There's a lot of grief going on, a lot of grief work. It's not just my mom. There's other things I'm grieving. Those years that I didn't grieve, what mm-hmm. I did to my marriage, what I did to my kids. There's a lot of grief, mm-hmm. but forgiveness and mercy is endless, endless, endless. And if I allow myself to receive it, I can move on. Mm-hmm. And each level right now, I'm working on the level of what I did to my body with, mm-hmm. and the, the with the sugar and the food and the and all that kind of stuff. I'm dealing with that now, but that's just another symptom of unresolved grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I'm going to give you a suggestion. I um, interviewed someone for the second time 
Her name was Andrea and I interviewed her um, after she got married and she's shared about being a daughter without a mom on her wedding day. She was very intentional about her grief work. She did her grief work from the very beginning. And, um, but what she did was she had a funeral when she turned 30, she had a funeral for her twenties. <gasps> what a great idea, right? Oh, I wow. you could have a funeral for the <laughs> previous Decade. version of Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> of all everything packed because she said, you know, and she said, I wanted to acknowledge that Thank you for what you've taught me. You know, I, I know that there's mistakes I've made. There's good things I've done. There's mistakes I've made. And I acknowledge all that. And I'm going to take the, you know, the information from that with me. But I'm going to close this decade. And I'm going to move forward into my 30s with a brand yeah. new slate. And like, wasn't that, isn't that such a great idea? I love stuff like that. I totally love things like me that. Too. And I, I, I'm more open to that than ever, those kind of things, because they mean something to me. And with me being on the beach, I mean, I've been down there in the snow, throwing things in the ocean, doing that kind of stuff, understanding that. I think in, in the Jewish tradition, they have a thing where they take bread and they throw it in the water and it's like their sins. And I, I can't remember what the name of it is. It's a tish. Oh, shoot. I never can remember, but it's, it's, an, it's a ceremony. It's called a Tishna or a Tikna. I, it's terrible that I don't know the exact thing, but I, I, I appreciate the declarations we make when we put actions behind those things. And we open ourselves up to be filled with something that's truer and, and more pure than, and stop holding on again. Yeah. Stop holding on. Right. 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 So That's symbolic. Really I thought, yeah, great, I thought Beth. that was such a great idea. Such a great it idea. Is. So consider it. And if you do it, let me know. <laughs> I bet. Not, you bet I will. figured out we're not too far apart. I, I just, I have two daughters that are in their twenties. So I'm like, oh girls, like, I think this is a great idea, but it, you could do it at any stage of life for anything that you're ready to say. Hmm. I know that that happened. I know that that was there, but I'm ready to, you know, just lose, look forward and move forward. I and I am, I actually am ready. I'm ready to yeah. continue and do the work unto the completion of this level. You know, Beth, one of the things that I've learned is going through grief work, going through healing, doing the work, um, and all these things that we're talking about. In some ways, I liken it to how a ship goes through the Panama Canal. You can only go through it one lock at a time, and you've got to reach the level you need to reach before the gate opens to go to the next level. And you, you can't do anything except do the work and let the water rise or fall. And so I appreciate what you're saying, but I can see the power of that, of closing the lock on that and saying, okay, that's behind me. I'm going forward now to the next one. So that's great. Yay. Good. Very good. Thank you. Yes. Well, I am so glad that we had the chance to do this and that it's a special day and time of year for both of us. Um, mm -hmm. And it really, and happy really, birthday to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, so you did mention, you know, that, um, you consider yourself at a point where you might be able to mentor other people or kind of, you know, offer support to people in that role. So if, is there a way that people can reach out to you if they would like, if they listen to the podcast and they would like to talk to you a little bit? Is oh, there a sure. Way? Absolutely. And, and let me just say to your audience, at this particular time, I'm sort of taking a sabbatical from my online presence, but I do check my messages. I'm on Instagram, Deborah J. Holiday. Well, it's also Natural Glam Mama. And I'm also on Facebook and I'm also on Twitter and I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me and you can message me. But if you just need to contact me directly, my email is Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-J Holiday, H-O-L-L-I-D-A-Y at Gmail. And 
I want you to know, I know it's, I, you know, I just, I know what it's like to, to not have somebody to reach out to. And then also to allow myself, if somebody's putting their hand out to reach back and take it. And let me just say to all of you out there, and I'm, and there's no age gap here. I mean, this is an intergenerational issue in every way, but um, if you are a, a daughter without a mom, a motherless mother, wherever you are in the stage of life that you're at. And if anything that I said resonated with you and you just need an ear or a shoulder, you absolutely reach out to me. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. And I'll put all of those details in the show notes. So if you're driving or something, don't worry about um, jotting down Deborah's email address. You can come back and look at the show notes um, and find it there. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate you telling your story and your vulnerability and sharing some of these things for the very first time. I feel honored. Thank you. It's my honor as well. And I have to say, full disclosure, I'm really proud of myself that I didn't break down and I actually got through the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'm joyful because I know this is the kind of thing that can bring healing. So I, it heals me as well. So thank you so much for allowing me to do it. I really appreciate it. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.